All right. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you today. And um, again, it is um, good to be at the precipice of a new school year. And uh, for both our CPS teachers and our students, welcome back. Okay. The ball is about to drop. You're about to go into game time, and it's going to be great. And uh, we are praying for you. And so, um, for those of you I don't know yet, my name is Roland. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's uh, so good to see you today. So, what we're doing today is we're actually uh, going into part two. You actually came in on part two of our new series, which is actually called The Gospel or The Good News According to Luke. The Good News According to Luke. And what we're doing is we're going through the biography of Jesus to actually see and understand who not only Jesus is, but what Jesus came to do and what he empowered his people who follow him to do as he brings his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so last week we didn't start with the Christmas story, but we did start with John the Baptist actually preparing the way for Jesus showing up on the scene. And today we're going to pick up with Jesus beginning his earthly ministry. Jesus beginning his earthly ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today, if you have a Bible, please open with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and we're going to focus on this statement today, that Jesus came to give us victory. Everybody say victory. (laughs) To give us victory over Satan, heal our brokenness, and preach good news to all. How many people can say amen to that? Okay, so Jesus came to give us victory over Satan, heal our brokenness, and preach good news to all. And so we're going to break the message down into those three parts today. We're going to talk about winning victories over Satan and how we can follow Jesus to do the same, talk about how we can actually receive healing from the Lord, and then be released to preach good news to all. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us that we might encounter the living God. Jesus the Christ. And God, we're asking you that today, that by your word, you would open our eyes and our hearts, God, so that we might be transformed by that word, by faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today, if you um, have your Bible, again, we're starting in Luke chapter 4, and this is a familiar passage to you. It is how Jesus began his ministry because Jesus was coming into a new season of life. Jesus actually didn't begin his ministry until he was 30 years old, the scripture says. And so if any of you have ever felt like you've been in a time of waiting, even though you felt like you knew you were called, even though you felt like you knew what God had appointed you to do, but that you were in a process of development, know that Jesus the Christ, who was the Son of God himself from eternity past and born of the Virgin Mary, he was God in the flesh from the get-go, right? But at the same time, God allowed, the Father allowed him to wait 30 years before he actually began his earthly ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that tells me, first of all, that we don't need to be in so much of a rush, do we? to actually fulfill the purposes of God. God himself is developing people unto his ends. And we see that Jesus, when he turned 30, was baptized, and then he was led by the Holy Spirit into a time of confrontation, into a time of confrontation with the enemy so that he could actually overcome and then return to his ministry in the power of the Spirit. And let's read this together. It says in verse 1, And Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. This is after Christ's baptism. And again, Jesus didn't get baptized because he needed to repent of any sin. He was sinless. 
but it said that he did it to fulfill all righteousness so that Jesus would be a perfect example for you and I to follow. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he'd been baptized and was led by the Spirit. Everybody say, by the Spirit. So that's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. Anybody ever observed that before? That Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into confrontation with the devil. And it wasn't to enter into confrontation to receive or experience defeat, but it was to actually experience the victories of God. And if you've ever had a moment or a time of temptation or confrontation in your life where it seemed like spiritual warfare increased to an inordinate level, know that the Holy Spirit is not trying to leave you, but it could actually be the Holy Spirit leading you into those moments of confrontation to build you unto God's eternal purposes. And it went on and said, and Jesus ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, in this context, Yahweh, the only living God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus is quoting scripture here. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written... So Satan begins to employ or utilize the word of God to tempt Jesus. If you pick up on that, that's an important point. That the devil, who is your adversary, who is Christ's adversary, knows the word of God just like you do. And in fact, he's been around longer, had more exposure to it, and knows it probably better than you do. And he's saying in this moment that he's using the word of God to try to distort it and tempt Jesus. And Jesus answered him, It is also said, though, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus answered him with a right interpretation. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And so what we see from this scripture is, first and foremost, that each and every one of us are going to have different seasons of life. 
But before we go into each season of life, as many of you are coming back from vacationing over the summer and jumping back into your work life, some of you are starting your school semesters again, it's another season that you're entering into. Some of you have just entered into a relationship. That's another season that you're entering into. But in every moment that we're transferring or we're transitioning seasons in lives, we need to approach the change of seasons just like Jesus did. And instead of just running into those seasons headfirst and then tripping over the mistakes that we're bound to make, we should instead, like Jesus, search and follow, look after, look for the will and the counsel of God before we do anything. How many people would agree with that? That when we go into a new season of life, there should be a moment of pause there should be a moment of reflection, and there should be a moment of seeking God to say, God Almighty, what do you want to do with my time? What do you want to do with my relationships? What do you want to do with these opportunities that you've given me that I might ultimately glorify you? And what we see beyond just overcoming the sins that were so prevalent in all of our lives before we were ever born again, right? Every one of us started in a place where we were bound by sin, slaves to sin. And we needed to be made a new creation in Christ, set free by the power of God and his Holy Spirit and his word that we might love and serve him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? So many of you can remember, just like I can, turning away from things like sexual immorality. I was a party kid. Many of you can remember turning away from things like drunkenness. Many of you can remember turning away from things like impurity, turning away from things like dishonoring your parents or whatever have you. How many people can remember the things that you, like we were talking about last week, you are actually turning from to begin following Jesus? We need to all have that moment in time that God can actually make us a new creation. But as we grow in God and we have any type of history with God, eventually those things that used to bind, bind us don't actually have the same taste in our mouths anymore. You know what I'm talking about? It's like eventually I'm not thinking about going to the club. I don't want to go to the club. I've got too many gray hairs to be in the club, <laughs> okay? It's like, it's like, listen, people will be like, you know, I, I realized that when I, I took my, um, you know, re reaching out on the college campuses, and there was a distinct moment in time where people would relate with me, and they would say, hey, man, hey, what's going on? You know, good to see you. And I was like, yeah, good to see you too, man. And then there was a distinct moment in time where people, young people started coming up to me and say, oh, hello, sir. Who, whose parent are you? And I said, listen, man, I'm about to be yours in the Lord. You know, if you nothing. But the point is, is that I'm too old to be in the club. I don't have that taste for that anymore, right? And it's a good thing. But what we see in the scripture here is that when we're following Jesus, as we mature, it's not so much just about not going on the internet late at night and looking at things you shouldn't. It's actually getting to a point where it's a battle over your calling. It's a battle over your calling and that which Jesus has ultimately called you to fulfill like Christ. Why do I say that? I say that because this is what Jesus was doing. He was going into a time of fasting and prayer prior to his earthly ministry. 
And after winning this victory in the desert, he immediately went back in the power of the Spirit and everything else that followed in the Gospel of Luke, in the good news of Jesus' ministry here on this earth was a fulfillment of that which God had appointed him to do. But what Satan was after in this moment was an, ability, an effort, it was an effort to knock him off that which God would ultimately have him fulfill, which would be providing victories over Satan, healing the sick, and preaching the good news to all the world. Now, let's look at some of these, some of these temptations. What we see is that, number one, Jesus is being tempted to turn the, what? The stones into bread, Right? And if you have ever been in a place before where you have chosen to follow God, you know that it costs you something. And sometimes it costs you the very things that in your carnal state you think you need. You think that you deserve and you think is rightfully yours right now. Has anybody ever been in a state before where you wanted a relationship so badly? <laughs> you were like, listen, it is not good for man to be alone. The Bible said that, right? But it seemed that God himself didn't yet provide that special someone who would love the Lord just like you do. And it was tempting to want to go outside of the will of God, to go to somebody who didn't necessarily love the Lord like you do, to just get those basic needs met. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody remember that time? I do. Or how about this? He said, listen, if you are the son of God, right, then do what? If you are the son of God, then I'm going to ask you to worship me, and then I'll give you all the authority, all the popularity, all of the riches of this world. And you might have grown up in a home where People put certain pressures on you, telling you who you needed to be, what kind of income you needed to have, and what type of success needed to be attached to your name. And rather than obeying God and doing the things that God called you to do in his timing, you were pressured to not seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, as the song was singing about, but order your life in such a way that you could have it all, right? And then tempted to cut corners, to lack integrity, to cheat a little bit, steal a little bit, right? Just to get that which people and the world tells you you need to have. Jesus was tempted in the same way. Or how about this? The world tells you that what? The world tells you that ultimately, if you serve Satan, if you do things just like the world is doing it, you can have everything your heart desires. But Jesus is saying, no, you need to understand this. You need to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And you need to do it by knowing this word. And you need to know this word in such a way that even when Satan, Satan tries to distort the word to lead you astray, you know how to properly interpret it to stand. Which means that you cannot just have your favorite Bible verse that pops up on your app day after day to read and think that's going to be enough for you to actually fulfill the Word of God. Anybody ever been there before? Come on, we, have, we all have you version now. 
right? We all have version, And listen, we don't even have to read it anymore. They have videos now, videos where somebody will read that one verse to you, give you an interpretation, slap you on the butt and send you on your way, right? Go serve God. And is that enough to properly interpret the word of God to actually resist Satan, overcome the enemy, and fulfill the word of God for your life? Well, according to Jesus, the answer is no. You've got to study to show yourself approved. Study that you might actually know the heart of God, know the will of God, and walk in it in a proper manner. And Jesus' special relationship with the Father was ultimately challenged in such a way that unless he did that, unless he knew the word of God in such a way in that he could properly apply it, these things would be challenged. Jesus responded with firmness whenever he was tempted by Satan and the security of God's written word to maintain at least three things. When he was tempted... In the world that resisted God, he needed to maintain, number one, a clarity of identity. A clarity of identity. And in the world in which we live right now, how many people know that people's identities are literally under attack? People are redefining God's creative order, God's creative design for men and women. God is, the people are attacking God's creative design for roles and responsibilities. People are attacking everything that God said when he created was good. And unless you have the word of God firmly implanted in you, definitions of identity will be reestablished. Number two, Jesus was able to establish and stand against a, and stand in a precision, precision of conviction. Meaning what God said was right, that's what I'm going to stand on, and I can do no other, right? Here I stand, and I can stand nowhere else. I'm going to obey God. And some of us have lived so much in just head knowledge that we haven't connected the dots to understand that Jesus said, blessed are those who not only hear my word, but put it into practice. And Jesus was able to, with the word of God, stand on a clarity of conviction. He was, number three, able to do this. He was able to have steadfastness of vision to accomplish the Father's will. A steadfastness of vision to accomplish the Father's will because this was not going to be the only time that he was tempted by Satan to be thrown off course. Remember, it said that even when Jesus overcame and properly interpreted the word of God and applied it to his life, it said that the devil left him, and that's good news, that when you overcome the devil with the word, that he leaves you eventually. You're not always buffeted, right? This is what the promise of Scripture says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Isn't that good news? That you're not always in the ring. There are times of war, but there are also times of peace. You just got to know which one you're in. But it said he left them until an opportune time, and then ultimately he had to stand again. And so everything that followed Jesus in his earthly ministry was him continually reestablishing those three things, his identity, his convictions, and also the Father's will. We must learn to do the same in a world that daily challenges not only the definitions, but the statutes of God and the purposes of God around us. 
And what that means as well is that we need to learn how to use, just like Jesus, fasting and prayer as a weapon, a weapon of choice. That when warfare increases in your life, instead of just buckling to it, we need to learn how to take up our weapons of warfare and learn how to do things like Jesus, like fast. Now, some of you might have thought that I just cussed, but let me, let me actually say that again. No, I said fast, which means denying yourself for a period of time some of the natural desires and needs that God has for you so that you might consecrate yourself to the Lord and through prayer and consecration have a moment of clarity where God can reestablish those things in you. And if you've never fasted and prayed before, my exhortation to you is to try it out. <laughs> because God will meet you there, and in scarcity, he will provide clarity for all those things that we just listed. Because when you fast, not if, because Jesus talked about not if, but when we fast. When we fast, we're emptying ourselves of our own self-reliance. And we're saying, God, I want your counsel in my life more than the daily needs that I think that I have. And in any moment of transition, I need God's counsel. I need God's filling. I need God's empowerment to do that which God said he wants me to do. In the workplace, in my relationships, if you're a student, in your academics, whatever God's appointing you to do, you need the power of the Spirit to actually accomplish it well. How many people would say amen to that? And God is giving us an example. He's saying, don't do it on your own, but do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just the power of the Holy Spirit, though. It's also the trifecta of what God gives us to actually make those decisions well. Whenever you're in a season of transition, you see that Jesus ultimately gives us these three things. He gives us, number one, God's word, which reinforces God's ways in our lives. Number two, he gives us fasting and prayer, which introduces God's specific direction through practical application of that word. Meaning that you can read the Bible, but how many people know you need the Holy Spirit to illuminate for you how to apply that word in your life? So that when you're following the living God in the workplace, in your family life, in your neighborhood, in your relationships, that the Holy Spirit of God is actually leading you because he's showing you how to apply that word. Does that make sense? And then number three, here's the beauty of it. He says he gives you his word, he gives you his Holy Spirit, but then he gives you godly counsel. Godly counsel in your life. And so many of us make mistakes because we don't ask anybody about anything. And what we do is we make our own decisions to our own detriment and then come crying to people when it comes to bite us in the butt. Anybody ever been there before? They're like, why did you do that? I can't tell you how many times I've seen men go MIA when they get in a relationship with some girl that they shouldn't even have been in a relationship with. She didn't love the Lord. She wasn't serving him. And if he had asked anybody, somebody would have been able to tell him. But then he comes crying, talking about, well, she left me. She cheated on me. Yeah, she did. I was expecting that. Why? Because there's bondage in her heart. She doesn't love the Lord. What did you expect to come out? 
And godly counsel would have helped prevent from that heartache, prevent that person from that heartache. And this is what Proverbs says. Proverbs very specifically gives us the understanding that it's not just God's word, it's not just the Holy Spirit speaking to us, but it's godly counsel bringing confirmation to the eternal purposes of God for your life that help keep you on track. And if you don't have that, let me tell you, people of God, you need it now. Part of you being in church today is not just so you can meet with God, it's so that you can meet with the people of God who can be that godly counsel to you. You hear me? And if you don't have godly counsel in your life helping you to stand in the Word of God, the direction of the Holy Spirit, and also the counsel of God, ultimately you will trip up. This is what Proverbs says. Proverbs 12, 15. He says, the way of a fool. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Anybody ever been wise in their own eyes? I don't need anybody telling me anything. You might remember being a teenager. I say I love teenagers. I got a house full of teenagers. Okay, so I said, "Bless you." Okay, but the thing is, I remember being a teenager and thinking I was right in my own eyes all the time. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember remember that you knew everything right as you hit thirteen? All of a sudden, this revelation came upon you, and you're like, "I have just encountered the source of all knowledge." And I am here sent by God to present it to my parents that they might be turned from their, their ways. <laughs> you remember that? But it says, a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel. Just say that with me. Counsel. Without somebody else speaking into your life. Without counsel, plans fail. Let's listen to what the Bible says. Anybody ever, is anybody else like me a planner in here? I like to make plans. Anybody have like half your plans not come to pass, but you're like, I'm going to make some more tomorrow. <laughs> okay? I love making plans because we got to do something for the Lord, right? But it says plans fail. <clears throat> Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. And here's the beauty of it. It's not, I like it says many advisors because it's not just me going to the people who I know are going to tell me what I want to hear. <laughs> Everybody have friends like that? You know you have friends who are going to tell you exactly what you want to hear and agree with you at every point? But many, the more counsel I get, the more I get rubbed against. And I'm like, oh, man, they disagree. I'm going to go back to that other friend. <laughs> right? Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 20, 18. Plans are established by counsel. By wise guidance, wage war. This is a battle. This is a fight of faith, is it not? God wants us to win, just like Jesus, does he not? But he says, if you want to do that, if you want to win, if you want to, don't want to, see, it's not a matter of if you're going to fight. You're, going to, you're in the battle whether you like it or not. Everybody embrace that. You are in the daily battle for your faith, for your convictions, for your life. It's just a matter of how you're going to approach that battle. And he says, plans are established by counsel, but by wise guidance, wage war. And then finally, Proverbs 24, verses 5 and 6. It says, a wise man is full of strength. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. 
For by wise guidance you can wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is what? What does it say? What did Jesus win? Did Jesus do it alone? No, he didn't. So why do we expect to? I went to uh, the orientation at uh, Moody, and uh, it was good. And one of the things that uh, Dr. Job said, he was actually quoting a former president of Moody Bible Institute, Dr. George Sweeting. Anybody been to Sweeting Hall? Okay, you'll learn the campus. And at 97 years old, 97 years old, he's still alive and kicking. And he was writing and just finished publishing yet another book to help the body of Christ. <laughs> and when Mark Job, who also went to Moody, was actually a student, he went to him and he asked him, how do you accomplish so much in life? How do you get so much done in life? And Mark Job said that he replied to him, he said, Young man, <coughs> discipline, not desire, will in the end determine your destiny. He said, young man, discipline, not desire, will in the end determine your destiny. How many people say amen to that? In this world in which we live now, people are always spouting off their desires, talking about who they're going to be, what they're going to do, what they're going to become, and they have no discipline to attach to it. That is the way of our generation. We live off of the work that the generation before has done, and then we claim the rights to it and then complain about the things we don't like. But what we need to embrace is the fact that Jesus exemplified that to fast and to pray took some discipline, did it not? To seek God, his word, and his counsel to learn how to stand against the temptations of the enemy actually took some discipline. He said discipline, not desire, will in the end determine your destiny. But the good news is that Jesus did it well and then he showed us how to live out the will of God. And what did Jesus do? Luke chapter 4. I already mentioned this in the previous message, but Jesus went into the synagogue. And in the synagogue, right, he unrolled the scroll and the power of the Spirit, and he did what? He read and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, all, and all, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. <clears throat> so the very thing that the Father sent Jesus to do, because he had prepared his heart and mind and actually learned to not only fight but overcome the enemy. He actually went in the power of the Spirit to do what he was appointed to do. Heal the sick, open blind eyes, raise the dead, drive out demons, set the oppressed free. Aren't we glad that's what Jesus came to do? 
Jesus came to do each of those things. And let me tell you something, it's not just him doing it back in the day, it's him showing us how to do it now. Well, I want to skip down in the scripture just to a part where in verse 31, in verse 31, Jesus started in the synagogue. And it says, as was his custom, he went into the synagogue, which was in the diaspora, the place of worship, the gathering place where they opened and taught the word, the place like church for us in our context, right? Jesus, as was his custom, went into the synagogue. So if Jesus went to the place of worship to maintain that which he needed to do to stay on the straight and narrow to fulfill the purposes of God, how many people believe we need to as well? That church is actually important to God. The gathering of the brethren. Matter of fact, 2,000 years ago, the writer of Hebrews said, hey, listen, do not be in the habit of forsaking the gathering together of the brethren as some are in the habit of doing. But do it all the more as you see the day of judgment approaching. Why? Because you need daily encouragement. He says, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that no one might be led astray by sin's deceitfulness. Anybody fall into that category? I need help daily so I won't be led astray by sin's deceitfulness. I need just, not just the word of God to be a mirror to me, but somebody else to look me in the face and say, Rollin, how are you doing? But it's interesting here. Let's put up verse 31 in Luke chapter 4. Jesus was coming to do these things, it says, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, somebody say in the synagogue. So in the place of worship. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. You would think that that just exists outside of the place of worship, Right? But it says, in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And is that not how we often respond to people when they're just trying to help us? Right? Isn't that the truth? Has anybody ever been encouraged or confronted by something lovingly? And then you're like, why are you here to destroy me? Why are you here to make me miserable? Why are you here to tell me to do things I don't want to do? That's how they responded to Jesus, right? He says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, shut up. <laughs> I love it. He said, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him, down in their midst, he came out of him. I love this, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And so all of a sudden, the word about Jesus started to spread everywhere. Jesus isn't just another teacher. Jesus comes with power and authority to set people free. 
And that means that dead religion or faulty religion, as we've known it before, that day's over. Why? Because the kingdom of God has come, and he's come with the finger of God in power to set people free. Oh, isn't that good news? But do you see this? That it was that man's or commitment to showing up at the synagogue, even though he had an unclean spirit that eventually allowed that power encounter with Jesus. And then Jesus shows up, drives that spirit to the surface. That says, spirit says, I know who you are. He drives it out, and that man's set free to serve him from that point forward. You see, God wants to set his people free. And if you've been bound, let me tell you something. God's good news to you is he wants to set you free. It doesn't matter what intellectual knowledge you've had up to this point. If you've still been bound, you don't have all of what God has for you. God wants to set you free from the power of sin, Satan, and death. He said, I've come in my love for you to set you free. And if you take anything away, take this picture home with you. If you love Lord of the Rings, how many people remember this scene? Do you remember Bilbo? Bilbo Baggins. Old, sweet and mild Bilbo Baggins. You can look it up as a gift later, okay? But the thing is, is that Bilbo had accomplished his adventures, right? He'd been on his journeys, and then Frodo was coming after him and says, it's my turn to take the ring to mortal. And Bilbo, who had encountered but been changed by the ring of power over his adventures, right? He said, I just need to see it one more time. Do you remember that scene? Go back and watch Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you know, I just need it one more time. Just one more time. And that's how it can be for you, right? I just need a taste of that old lust one more time. I just need a taste of that drink one more time. I just need a taste of getting off the path of God. Just one more time. And he reached for the ring, right? Everybody thought Bilbo was all together, but he reached for the ring. Let's throw that picture up one more time. And then all of a sudden, he's like, ah! It's like, Bilbo! What in the world? Where did that come from? And by committing yourself to the people of God, the word of God, and the purposes of God, let me tell you, when you have encounters of Je with Jesus, he'll drive to the surface the things that need to be dealt with, and that will actually be put back, driven out, and he'll set you free. You hear me? And you know, you know I'm not alone in this. We've all been there. Right? Thought we were all cool, and ah. <laughs> And God's like, no, 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 baby. <laughs> I'm coming to set you free. I'm coming to set you free. And so I appeal to you as we begin this new semester, as you come back into your work life, as you begin a fall semester in the city of Chicago, <laughs> come to God consecrate yourself with prayer and fasting, and then employ this trifecta of the word of God, prayer, and the counsel of God that you might, like Jesus, run in all the will of God for your life. Because it's not just about those petty sins from which he's trying to deliver us. The battle is ultimately over your calling. The battle is over your calling. But just like Jesus, he wants to keep you on the straight and narrow so that all that follows in the gospel of Luke might be an example for you of what you walk in in the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Christ.
How many people can say amen to that? Well, good. Let's pray and consecrate ourselves to God today. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word to us, and I thank you that you've given us your word, that we might not only know you, but love you, and really walk in the freedom of all you've called us to be and do. God, and I'm praying that for every person, every man, every woman in here, there would be nothing less than your best expressed in their lives. God, I pray that they would be like not just the children who had their sins forgiven on account of your name, but they would be like the young men and the young women who are strong and have the word of God living in them. And because of that, they overcome the evil one. Not just in the daily habitual sins, but Father, in the call of God on their lives, that they would be those who not only have a good work started in them, but God, that you are be one who brings it to completion in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would give them a love for not only your word, a love for not only prayer, but you would open their ears to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Not just as you speak to them directly, but as you speak to them also through the counsel that through what you surround them, with what you surround them. God, I pray that every one of us would be humble and open enough to engage you in such a manner. God, I pray you would set people free today by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that which has had people bound for years, Father, that you would break them free of today. God, we come to the cross today and ask that you would set us free. And if there's anyone in here who says, you know what, just keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. I've been with God for and around the things of God for years, but I've had things that have bound me. Habits, course directions, attitudes of mind and heart that I just can't seem to break free from. But I want to come to God today and say, God, set me free. But I need some help. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. We want to pray for you. Okay, anyone else? Okay, all over. All over. Lord, I thank you for your children. And I pray that just like the man with the unclean spirit, in the synagogue, that God, this would be a moment where you set people free by the power of the Holy Spirit. Finger of God, touch your people today. Finger of God, help there to be a moment of not only repentance, but faith. Faith release that they can walk free based on what you came to do for them. And I'm going to ask you in this moment that if you know that it's because of sin that you've been bound, just before the Lord, not anybody else, but before the Lord, confess what it is that it is that you need to be set free from. But don't just confess it, but the Bible says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces their sin finds mercy. To have a moment where you not only confess but renounce that which has had you bound, held you bound. 
And God, I'm praying that you would hear the prayer and the cries of your people's hearts today. Hear their cries and set them free. In Jesus' name, amen. And if there's anybody else who says, you know what, I've never submitted my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but I know I need to come to him today and give my life wholly and fully submit to him, turning away from my sin, putting my trust in what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand because we want to make sure to pray with you afterwards. Is there anyone at all? Don't worry about who's around. Just be bold and God will meet you there. If that's you, after the service, make your way down to the prayer site because not only can we pray with you, but we can show you how to take these next steps in God, in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, everybody ready to worship? Let's honor God who's come to set us free.